Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. My number one album, big shocker to me, also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swifty. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Oh, just is that like it's a perfect album hello and welcome to the spark parade where i geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration i'm adam unz at spark parade on all social media thanks so much for joining me Today, your Friday dose includes my fantastic chat with psychologist, life coach, heavy metal vocalist, and podcaster Dr. Mike about his spark, Stephen Blush's book, American Hardcore, A Tribal History. Uh, Dr. Mike is a really interesting guy, and our chat was really fun, so do you want to hear it? I mean, of course you do. But first, quick Dr. Mike facts. Michael Friedman, better known as Dr. Mike, is a clinical psychologist, life coach, and heavy metal vocalist who also hosts the mental health-focused podcast Hardcore Humanism. On Hardcore Humanism with Dr. Mike, artists from a range of genres share how they've overcome barriers from poverty, discrimination, and self-doubt to mental illness such as trauma, substance abuse, depression, and anxiety on their road to success. His guests have included Nile Rodgers... Hearts, Nancy Wilson, Paula Cole, and Linda Perry. Quite a crew there. Uh, quick American Hardcore facts. American Hardcore, A Tribal History is a book written by Stephen Blush that relates the history of the hardcore punk movement that took place in North America between 1980 and 1986. The book was the basis of the documentary film American Hardcore, released in 2006, directed by Paul Rachman. Rashman? Who knows? I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, Paul. Uh, anyway, Dr. Mike and I get into much more detail about the book in our chat, so let's just listen to it, shall we? Here comes my chat with Dr. Mike about American hardcore. So the first question is always, uh, do you remember becoming aware of this book for the first time? Yeah, I when I was uh, in my 30s, I had never played music before and i i think if i'm remembering correctly it was back at a time when drinking was more prominent in my life and i think i babbled to one of my friends that hey i i i wish i could just like sing once in a band you know what i mean like like i thought the idea would be like you know maybe i could do like a pearl jam cover song and so they bought me a voice lesson hmm. for my birthday and I took a couple of lessons, but I, I can't really sing. And so a friend of mine said, why don't you just go on Craigslist, which I had never heard of before, and just try out for bands. And I tried out for alternative rock bands because that's what I was listening to at the time. Right. 
and I walk in and, and all these people who are playing all sound, I thought they were all going to be like me, you know, like, and they didn't really know anything. And they all were like this. I mean, to me, it sounded like it was professional musicians. And so they said like, just, you know, we're going to play, we're going to jam and just sing whatever is comes to your mind. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like I didn't, I didn't really think about what I was going to have to do. And so I never really thought that I was going to have to sing on my own. And so I, I was there for like a half hour, like listening to them and they were just playing. And I had told everybody I know that I had an audition for a band and I started getting so upset because I was like, this is not going well that I almost started crying and, and I just started screaming into the microphone and I just was like screaming all this like stuff was coming out and I just was like okay and then I, I wrote a thank you note to my friend Tay who like had started the band and they were like and he, he called me back he's like you know we we're gonna do an alternative band but I think that with your voice maybe we should do like something that's more of like a hardcore or a thrash band and I just remember being like I don't know what those words mean. Like I've never, I've never heard those terms before. So <laughs> I'm going to need a little something here. And so, you know, what, what happened was he had grown up as a New York city, hardcore and metal kid, you know, between like CBGBs and Lemoore's and we hung out and he started playing me some of that music. And when I heard that, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I, I, I get what you're talking about now because I do sound a little bit more, like this. And I just didn't even know that those, those genres really existed. Like I had, I had a vague sense of it, but not, not anything like, you know, close in. And so when, when, once we started playing live shows, I started to notice that everything lit up for me. Like every day it was like, I could be writing lyrics or I could be practicing or I could be trying to help book shows or I could help be like sending you know, an album, one of our albums out to like a radio station or to get reviews or like just everything like lit up and it was so exciting. And one of the things that I really started to do was I started to try to learn as much as I could about those worlds, because what it, what had started to happen was that when I was younger, there were all these people that used to like, you know, they would dress either in black or they would have these names of these like bands you know like judas priest or iron maiden or like you know then i heard eventually of you know minor thread or like all these all these different bands or bad brains and i had crow mags and i just you know i didn't i didn't really know anything about it and to be honest like everybody kind of then i i was, I was kind of scared to be honest you know all in black they had tattoos and like the earrings and then all of a sudden I was playing shows with people and, and I was just noticing, I was like, God, these are like some of my favorite people I got to talk to. Like everybody's like eager to talk about ideas and like talking about cool things that they're doing and like helping out. And it's like, oh, hey, you know, like we played this place and like, what about that? And, you know, we want to play another show with you guys and let's do something for charity and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that I came across was the book was American Hardcore. Mm. And that was a book written by Steve Blush. And it was, it really opened my eyes to the fact that there had been this whole world that had been in existence for, uh, you know, 25 years or so before I started even playing music, or I should say singing. And I read about it and it was just, it, it just, I felt like my mind was blown. Hmm. Um, it was this notion that there were these, these people with this kind of music that were just completely 
shunned by the mainstream. And the idea that they thought to themselves, well, if we're shunned by the mainstream, that's okay. We'll just do these things ourselves. You know, we'll put together our own bands. We'll, you know, form our own labels. We'll, you know, put on our own shows. We'll have our own fanzines. We'll create our own networks. And, and I was just reading about it and I was just like, God, this is so much how I feel like I think about the world, you know, and, 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 and American hardcore was really the, the best document that I had ever, that I ever came across that really tried to bring the whole culture up until that point together and, and to try to explain it to somebody like myself who wasn't in it and didn't grow up in it. Although I, I, I caught little pieces of it because like, you know, as an example, like one of the people we recorded our first album with Don Fury was big part of the New York hardcore scene, or we would, we'd play shows with Bobby Steele of the undead, who was also part of the misfits. And, you know, there was just these like little, we, we would kind of bump up against the hardcore world a lot, even though we didn't wind up being as much of a hardcore band. And I was just so impressed with it. And it, it, it affected the whole way I looked at the world, including the way that I practice psychology. Hmm. Um, because what I realized was that this was the skill that people needed. You know, they needed the ability to, when the world was telling them either you should go right or we don't have anything, you know, we don't want anything to do with you, we're, we're going to go left. And we're going to find our purpose in something, you know, like I had found all of a sudden a purpose in music and the people I was reading about had all found their purpose in music. And we're just going to work hard to make this happen. And we're going to build a community around us to support us. And, and that was one of the things that was so uh, troubling in some ways about when I started playing music was that it seemed like the world split apart into two groups. There were the people who were like, hey, this is cool. Either I like that kind of music or I just think it's so cool you're doing something different. And people were just like, what are you doing? Like, this is, you're just you're dressed in black. Like, I, I just went this weekend down to Trash in Vaudeville and like, you know, I would go before, like we play shows at Continental and I would I would go beforehand to like, Jimmy Webb, the, the late Jimmy Webb, you know, before he passed away. And, and I'd be in my like, you know, I'd be in like my khakis and my like penny loafers, my button down, like, you know, <laughs> like not, not probably that bad at that point, but like my, you know, my, my button down dress shirts. And I'd just be like, could you do something here? Because I have to play a show. And he, you know, he was just so kind and he was so like, you know, Hey, like, what about this? What about this? And just all of that, like the whole thing was just so intoxicating that and it felt so good and i realized that a lot of people needed that in their life for their just their health and well-being in general separate from the music and that was really one of the things that i got from the american hardcore book was i was just able to read in their own words a lot of the people's stories and i was just like god this is just it's so inspiring it's so invigorating yeah and i i think the you know, this book covers a lot of ground. It's a really exhaustive uh, overview of hardcore across the entire country and Canada and, you know, really analyzing the different scenes in different cities. And um, it's obviously written by somebody who cares very much about his subject and was part of that scene. But, you know, it's there are parts of the scene that are, you know, there's, there's disparate parts where, uh, like, skinheads and people with long hair and, um, you know, racist people and anti-racist people and whatever. But I think the unifying stuff is this 
emotional life, the, the, you know, whatever their background was, these kids were trying to assert their independence. They were um, rejecting whatever it was that they had come from, whether that's, you know, a suburban, you know, boring life in their parents' house or, you know, people who were really struggling and living on the street or whatever, that it's all about finding a community that's focused on this music. And I think much more than any other uh, musical subculture, it's, it is this like visceral thing. It's, it's not just about passively listening to music. It's about participating in it and fucking shit up and, you know, getting in the mosh pit people, even if they're not beating the shit out of each other, which happened, um, but uh, just being really physical and interacting with the band. It's not about just uh, tapping your foot and watching what's happening and also feeling like you're a part of uh, a movement, if not just a a culture, that it's like um, this huge seismic shift in the way that music was thought of. Um, and, and I think that really comes through in the book that it's, it's all of these people who share this common passion, even though they're from all of these different backgrounds and from different parts of the country and all of that, that there's this core similarity in the way that people related to the music. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I was always impressed by, and this was even, I found this, I think in the, in the metal community as well. And I think that as time went on, there was a lot of crossover with with hardcore and metal that wasn't there necessarily at the beginning. But, you know, it, it in a lot of ways, one of the things I think is very difficult when we kind of carve our own path is that we feel like we have to be against something. Right. You know, and and I guess that there's there's something, you know, to that to a degree. But what was always impressed me about what I've learned about hardcore is that it seemed less about being against something and more about being for something. And the, one of the things that it was for that you, that you just described was that there was a real conceptual shift about that. Everybody involved is kind of the show, you know, the band and the crowd are much more unified mm-hmm. and the, the sense that, there's not, you know, the, the same people who are on the stage or the people who are in the crowd, the people in the crowd can go up on the stage. And these are things that happen sometimes now in other concerts. But th- this was really something that that marked a lot of the hardcore shows. And I think that what it also did was it 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 there's a decentralization of culture that happened in part for that reason. You know, if you start with the idea of like, look, I'm not rebelling against this. I'm just going to do my own thing. Everybody involved matters, right? It's not like about, well, I'm not a rock star, so I don't matter. It's everybody matters. So if everybody matters, then the idea of starting something in your local scene makes sense. You know, I was just talking with um, William Duvall, who's now the lead singer of Alice in Chains, about Neon Christ, which is a hardcore band that he started in Georgia. And, you know, he talked about how it was not that many people were in the scene. You know, he talked about, it was like anywhere from 12 to 30 people. And it was a, it was a non-existent scene. And just, just the idea that you could do something with a small group of people and it mattered that naturally leads to, well, like any place could have a scene. Oh, is there, there's a scene in Austin. Oh, there's a scene you know, in Chicago, oh, there's a scene in, in Boston area. 
And, you know, it's hard to even think that there was a time and it still feels like a little bit today, but that like New York and LA were the only two places that mattered, you know right. what I mean? And just the idea now that, Hey, you got a scene, you got a scene in Wisconsin, you got a, you know, Seattle to an extent, I think the rise of Seattle and grunge came out of hardcore, just the idea that there could be a place other than the, that, that was cool. You know, it was, it was now, it seems like, well, of course, like now you have, you know, there's North Carolina, there's Georgia, there's anywhere can be cool, but I don't know if back then, at least when I was growing up, that wasn't the case. And so there, there were so many powerful philosophical assumptions about that movement that I think came across in the book and then in the movie based on the book that really, really stuck with me. Because again, uh, these, are, these are some of the underpinnings of strong mental health. And I really hadn't thought about that in all of the, you know, my training and working my different theories these concepts really never, never came up for me because it just, it wasn't the way I thought about things. It was much more individualistic kind of how do I tinker with somebody's thinking or whatever. And um, it just, it, it changed my world, both in terms of, you know, I, I wouldn't, as for example, like just being a 30 something year old guy thinking I'm going to play music in New York city. I, that's just, that's just, I mean, it's silly. It was, it, it was, I mean, you know, but like, but, I was with people who grew up in a world, in a hardcore world, where like, now you look at now some of the bands are hardcore, they're, they're older guys, they're in their 60s or, you know, 50, whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's, you just, you just do it. And that's powerful for somebody who's, you know, just trying to find their way in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I think it's interesting how this scene laid the framework for a lot of other kinds of music. And, you know, people who started out in the scene and kind of took that energy and pushed it into other things, you know, like the Beastie Boys and Husker Du and, you know, Dave Grohl, his trajectory was through a lot of different kinds of music, but where he's ended up is very, very different. And the way that all of those people talk about their experiences in the scene, it's, it is about like community building and really this kind of uh, DIY aesthetic where it's like this, these are the resources we have and we're not going to let that limit us, even though we, you know, the, the stuff that we have isn't a lot and even not even just, uh, you know, material things, skills, like people saying, we didn't know anything about playing music. We could play three chords and we took that and made songs that people loved. <laughs> and it was just like having confidence and enthusiasm and also wanting to be a part of this community. And all of those things, I think um, there is something very unusual in the musical landscape about that, that, you know, there's a, a book called Meet Me in the Bathroom that's about, uh, you know, the kind of late 90s, early 2000s rock scene um, uh, or music scene in the city and in uh, Williamsburg. Um, and I can tell you've <laughs> heard of it. Um, but uh, uh, that, you know, it sh shares some similarities that it's like, you know, interviews with people who are involved and somebody who's very dedicated to that scene and was a part of it. But I think the difference is that the kinds of music that were around, it was all, you know, vastly different kinds of things. It was bands who kind of knew each other, but they weren't relating to each other on a musical level. And there is this, um, it's not 
quite, you know, it's not homogenous. It's not like every band sounded the same, but with hardcore, there is, um, an ethic. There's like a, there's a, an idea of what this music should sound like, you know, (laughs) reading stuff about like people complaining when the music got too slow or too quiet. Um, and, uh, yeah, that again, just, uh, the visceral nature of it, the way that people reacted was so intense and so immediate that, um, yeah, the talking about that reciprocal relationship between the band and the audience, um, that that kind of energy, I think, is what produced this whole national movement. And it's not just about kids going to see concerts. It's about, um, you know, having this network of people who are all involved in the same thing and, um, in a lot of ways had similar ideas about the world and, uh, liked and disliked the same things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's also crazy to me that this is, you know, a scene that had that intense period of, you know, maybe a maximum of 10 years, something like that. And, um, has, you know, there are remnants, but it's, you know, definitely not as intensely, uh, populated as it was before, but the legacy of that music and the influence of that music is felt in so many different ways. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you're, you're mentioning some people's names, but whether it's, you know, Dave Grohl coming from the DC scene or William Duvall in Allison Chains coming from, uh, Atlanta, Duff McKagan in Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. you know, coming from tons of, you know, the, the Seattle scene, the guys in Pearl Jam right. coming from under, you know, Flea yeah. from yeah. the Chili Pepper. I mean, it goes it goes on and on and on. It's like there's almost, especially in in more hard rock music, there's there's so many connections there. And but I think that also just even now, like now. There's just tons of great, you know, like there's bands like Code Orange. There's just like these great hardcore bands out there, or bands that that merge hardcore and metal. And that's that's another thing that's that's been fantastic. I think, you know, you 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 made mention of the the similarity of the music, and I think I think that was true to an extent. But at least my kind of understanding of it was that that was almost a um, it, it was it was sort of like that was almost like a temporary state that like what you know there was kind of it's like kind of like when you're like really good friends with someone in high school and there's like all these great memories from there, but then you move on together as friends and you do all these kinds of different things Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of the people who I've talked to who came out of that movement, it's, it's the music. Yes. You know, it's like some people it's, it's the specific music, but it's that independent thinking that really this idea of like, Hey, let's, let's just go do something cool. You know, let's go do something different. Um, And the idea, the other idea that was that was very interesting that came out of it, which I found um, compelling, and I, I, I Mike Watt from uh, Minutemen, mm-hmm. and when I talked to him, just this idea of that you want to make the art that doesn't necessarily have to be your main career. Mm-hmm. I think that up until that point, the idea was that you know you either you were you were like if you want to try to make it as a quote-unquote rock star you had until about 25 or 30 and then you had to get a quote-unquote regular job and then that was it for you right but the way that they had it structured was almost the opposite like don't have this as your main job do this because you love it and and you could do it forever and you're not in any way constrained by the the financial considerations and so 
you know, that as an example is something that completely permeates. I think, I think a lot of the ideas of hardcore are now so baked into the culture and that's definitely one of them. You know, you look at any, you know, so many people now, when you talk about the concept of a side hustle or like a passion, you can see it like, like corporations now, or even like, you know, we want people to have the ability to follow your passion and all that. And that's not coming exclusively from, from hardcore, but that was definitely something that was happening, you know, hardcore metal, hip hop, um, all of those genres, a lot of them, which, which, you know, centered in part around New York city. Um, although they were obviously all over the place, the, 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 those ideas really are, are, are permeating now in society. People want that. And that's because they've seen that it's possible to happen. I think, I think the book American hardcore and the movie, it, it helped spread that idea. It kind of helped like sort of bring it all together. And for the people like myself who weren't, there when it happened and just sort of be like yes like this is possible and like look at all these people that you have heard of who were a part of this you just didn't know it and that's a that's a very powerful thing because to me i don't want to just listen to amazing music i I, you know i want to know how people did things and that this book was really really helpful for me in that way yeah and i think uh something that you you just mentioned that is really stood out to me as well as a collection of people who are part of a movement who were participating, not because they wanted to be famous, not because they wanted to have tons of money, but because they were passionate about it and they loved it. And, you know, there, there was almost a rejection of success where it was like people who ended up being in bands that got to be big were like, Oh, these sellouts. Um, but also just, you know, there are so many references to people saying we didn't have any money. We were, you know, losing money from touring. We could barely get enough to eat. Sometimes we were just having to like ask the people who are around us for food and whatever, or, you know, go to someone's parents' house. Um, but that none of that mattered, that it was about living in the moment, enjoying the music that they'd created and seeing, you know, the, the payment many times was the reaction from the crowd and seeing how much happiness and joy and excitement, um, they were bringing out of these kids. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being successful, but I think there's a lot to learn from that, that it's like, whether you end up being a rock star or not saying that the most important thing at the core of what you're doing has to be that you love what you're doing and um, any other successes can spring from that. But to, to have, you know, financial success or fame as your initial goal um, doesn't necessarily, to me, seem like a recipe for happiness. Well, yeah. And, and, and Steve, uh, when I interviewed him about the book, you know, and other, other things he was doing, one of the things he said was that it was, it was redefining success in non-economic terms and that that was an important part of, of the hardcore movement. Again, like you said, it doesn't mean if you make money, that's fantastic, but that's not the point. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Albini, um, who I has been very influential in my thinking, uh, he just said he was, he was talking about, I think to some extent where bands struggle going from like independent labels to more major labels. And one of the things that he had said was that 
you know, there's some businesses that exist just to do the thing, you know, like, like somebody who just wants to make shoes or wants to make pizza, like that's what they want to do. And they, they figure out the money after that, you know, but the, but the core is I want to do something. I want to, I want to understand myself and represent myself in the world doing this productive thing. And then there are some companies that are just about making money. Mm-hmm. And what they do is not necessarily so important to them. And I'm not I'm not here to like say that that's true or that's not true. You know, I'm, I'm, whether you know people can have their own opinions about that. But but what was so striking for me was that it it really resonated in terms of the whole concept of when people do things are your ambitions and your actions and your evaluations all lined up. Like, so in other words, if your ambition is to make great music and your action is about making great music, but then your evaluation is like, well, how much money did we make? Mm-hmm. That's, that's not really going to work. And if you're, you know, if your ambition is to make money and your actions are designed to make money, but then your evaluation is like, well, how come we didn't get as much critical acclaim? That's not going to work. And also the people who are involved in those two ventures. And again, I'm not saying what's, what's reality in terms of independent labels versus major labels, but just if you can imagine those, those two concepts in, in general, those are people with, those are different people. And it's a question of like, well, what kind of culture do you want to be a part of? And that to me was very, very interesting because I even thought for my life and, and other people I knew where, God, I don't know if I ever stopped and thought about what I was trying to do. Like, like I, I kind of just did it and I thought it made sense, but did I really think it through? And so, you know, talking with Steve Blush and then Steve Albini, that, that really opened my eyes to, to something that resonated with me because when I started doing music, I, I obviously had no, not obviously, but I, I had no intention of being making money. I just thought it would just be like the coolest thing in the world just to do music. Hmm. And I just didn't, I didn't think that that would be enough. You know, like I thought that, well, if you want to do this, you have to do this. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to do it really for like buddy. So this is not going to work. But then I read about like American heart. I was like, no, there's, there's, there's a lot of people who do this just because they love it. And that made it feel sustainable and knowing like why you, you want to do something and then engaging in it in that way and evaluating it in that way is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And, and in hardcore, it just, it felt so clear. And that was, that was another thing that was just like super cool out of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, another thing that, uh, I found really unique and really special about it is that, you know, in some ways it feels like an encyclopedia. It's like, there's so much detail about individual cities and like the, the care and attention that he's taken to not exclude cities in the Midwest and in the South that had smaller scenes, but really taking the time to investigate what those kids were doing, how they were participating, and showing that this was something that so many people were touched by. And um, again, the comparison with uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, that it's like very specific about New York. Um, but yeah, just getting to see um, the the energy and the excitement and joy that people got um, all over the place and ha- having that s- a similar kind of experience where they, as you said, you know, it's like, it's about doing it for not necessarily for financial means, most of the time, not for financial gain. And, um, 
just, uh, yeah, digging into the smaller towns to bands that people might not have heard of um, and talking about how those bands touched other people who are a bigger part of the scene who went on to be really famous and the influence that they drew from those people. Um, so yeah, just getting to see that sort of, uh, family tree and, um, see, seeing this immense network of musicians that, uh, all kind of played off of each other and, you know, hearing about bigger musicians who were touring a lot, getting to see all of these bands and play with all these bands in these smaller towns and smaller cities. And, um, you know, you mentioned this before that it's like not just focusing on New York and LA or even, yeah. you know, New York, LA and Chicago or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just a really exhaustive, uh, I wouldn't even say it's an overview because the detail is so, uh, so strong that, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really uh, amazing document of of that that scene that era. I don't know what to say after that. That's perfect. That was- <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that is a, as good a note as any to to uh, to end on. Um, I think we've we've covered our bases here. Um, yeah. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for. Yeah, uh, dude, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. Good to talk. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, take care. All right, man. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks again to Dr. Mike for chatting with me. His podcast, Hardcore Humanism, is available to stream and download wherever you stream or download podcasts. Uh, Okay, quick inspirational work of the day for me. There's a new Netflix show called The Chair, which is about a woman played by the amazing Sandra Oh, who is the first woman of color to become a chair of the English department of a major university. Listen, if you couldn't tell, I fucking love Sandra Oh. And this show is cute and light, and it's half an hour, all qualities that I love in a TV show. Plus, there are some other really great actors in it. Jay Duplass, the absolutely incredible Holland Taylor, Bob Balaban, lots of people you'll recognize. So watch it. It's only six episodes, so you can watch it in a day if you want to. Nice, right? So there you go. And uh, that's about it. Please spread the word about this show. Tell your friends, tell your family. It'll be fun, I promise. Um, I am back to the normal Wednesday-only schedule next week, but that episode is going to be a good one, so you should join me on Wednesday. Um, Other than that, enjoy your weekend, get some rest, and until next time, bye! Greetings from Chromatica, home of Lady Gaga, liberator of kindness punks, mother of little monsters, tricon of the ages. We are her best fans with a mission to create a podcast celebrating our hero. Broadcasting straight from Chromatica. This podcast is about Lady Gaga for Lady Gaga. But anyone can listen. It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H-I-M. Prove your stupid love. Ace the art pop quiz. Put your paws up. And download the Chromaticast wherever you get your podcasts. Join us every other Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for our live tapings at twitch.tv slash apocalypse podcast network. 
Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.